Hello, and welcome back to the American Mill Spouse Podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Smith. I'm excited to share my conversation with Andrea and Natalie with you this week. They host a podcast called The Spouse Angle, which shares news and expertise from and for military spouses. They're both self-proclaimed retired military brats who have a heart for the spouse community, and I really enjoyed getting to know them and learn more about their experience. Be sure to keep up with them on Instagram at Spouse Angle Podcast, and you can listen to their podcast wherever you're listening to this one. Enjoy the episode. I'm Natalie Gross. I'm a freelance journalist and mostly cover the military and sometimes education. I am the host and the producer of the Spouse Angle podcast, which I'm sure we'll get into some more, but it's a news podcast for a military spouse, military family member audience. So um, I'm not a military spouse personally, but I was uh, grew up as a former army brat or retired army brat. I saw somebody post that the other day. They call themselves a retired army brat. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use that. (laughs) So I'm a retired army brat. (laughs) What else? I live in near DC with my husband and um, our one-year-old. So like every other toddler mom in America, I'm going a little bit crazy right now in quarantine. But yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Awesome. Yeah, we've got a a two and three-year-old here. So I fully feel you on the quarantine pain. <laughs> and I'm Andrea Scott. Natalie, can you only be a retired brat if you're, if your parent retired or can anyone be? I don't know. I guess it just <laughs> means like, cause I always feel weird saying like former army brat. Cause it's like, you're an army brat for life. You know, like, like when people yeah. say a former Marine, it's like, there's no former Marine. It's just, you're always a Marine. So I didn't know how to ever say that. And then I heard, I, I don't know how they meant it, but I was like, I'm going to use that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if that's the case, then I'm a air, retired Air Force brat. Is that the right way? Yeah. <laughs> my dad was an Air Force pilot and both my younger brothers are Air Force pilots. So I am the non-pilot in the family. Um, <laughs> my grandpa was a pilot. My other grandpa was a navigator in World War II. So mm-hmm. come from a big family of um, aviation. And mm-hmm. I work as the editor of Marine Corps Times. That's where Natalie and I met at Military Times a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And work as the editor of the Spouse Angle on the side with the podcast and editing our, our blog and news content. Awesome. And you guys started, you said back in October, your first episode, right? Yeah. Our first episode launched in October, but right around this time last year, I think is when we really started planning and kind of like building out the vision. Andrea and I, when we worked together, we'd try to grab lunch every so often and our spot was Olive Garden. And uh, so I was leaving military times after I came back from maternity leave just for several different reasons. But um, yeah, and then we started talking and we kind of had this shared vision of wanting to build like a, a, a podcast and like a new site for military spouses. And so it kind of overlapped. But yeah, that was right at Olive Garden around this time last year. That's yeah. great. And so tell Natalie me little- took the reins in the fall, okay. and then I, I unfortunately was furloughed for three months, so that's when I got really involved um, this spring, but yeah, I had the for a bit. Got it, yeah. That, I, um, this was sort of birthed from my choosing to stay home with our girls again, <laughs> because I did that last year and then started working uh, in a part-time role that was, it was part-time but you kind of needed to be available full-time and it which is 
works really well for some people and isn't great when you have toddlers because then you kind of need somebody else to be able to grab them full time. So anyway, with that, the podcast kind of became a, I need something. I need something to do, something to sort of, something to not like produce literally, but technically, yeah, you know, just something to feel like. Yes, yes, exactly. Because as I always tell my husband, there's no results of raising your children until it's done. Like at the end of the day, all you're doing is just like continuing to keep them alive. And so I love just something that's like, look, I made this, I did this thing. I have something to mark for my time spent on this earth today. (laughs) That was. I've never thought about it like that, but yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. It's just, as someone who's just very type A and very, I don't know, visual, very like, and obviously being married to the military where everything is marked. You did this, so here's this. You did this, so here's this. And instead it's sort of just a little bit of a cyclone of, I don't know, we're alive. Everybody's alive. I can tell you what room everybody's in. And that feels like (laughs) my accomplishment for the day. So this has been a really cool way. And like I said, it's neat because you can, um, you have some freedom into how much time you give it to a degree. Obviously there's certain commitments, but at the same time, I've, it's been nice that I, I keep being like, oh, I got it. I have to get this done or whatever. And I keep reminding myself, no, this is something you're doing for you. Stop making it be a stressor. You know, this is supposed (laughs) to be fun. So, so can you tell me, what made you, obviously, I know you were working at the Military Times, but what made you want to focus on this area for your podcast? So I had wanted to start a podcast. Like I knew that that was kind of like a, a goal of mine um, at some point. I didn't really have like, because the podcast market is just so flooded, right? So you kind of need like a niche. And so that kind of came to me, oddly enough, um, after maternity leave, when I went back to work, the nursing room or where the pumping mothers would go was the podcasting room. That was, Mm. it was the, so all the equipment was there and you're staring at it while you pump milk. So, um, that's kind of when I just had a lot of time to think, um, and just like it all kind of came together and I was hearing from, you know, military spouse, because I was covering the military. I was covering mostly like the veteran community, but also like military families a little bit too. But, um, you know, I was, kind of hearing from male spouse friends and others that there was kind of this information gap, like spouses were kind of depending on their service members to fill them in on the latest like policies or, you know, different things that would affect them uh, news wise, or, you know, you see a lot of like misinformation on Facebook that's specifically targeting the military community. So I just kind of had this idea like, hey, what if I could help sort of bridge that information gap with a podcast? And like podcasting is kind of like this new medium, you know, and it's like, woo, hip. And I listen to podcasts all the time because my commute was at least 30 minutes every day. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like how I like to take in information. And so that was kind of where the vision of it started. And then just like in talking with military spouses that I knew and military spouses that I didn't know, but, you know, got to know through it. It was just, everyone really just seemed like, oh yes, that's a great idea. And so that's kind of how it was born. And then Andrea can tell you her, her side of things too, because that was just kind of like the podcast itself, but then she had like a bigger idea for it. 
Yeah, so I was getting my master's at Georgetown. Natalie actually did the same journalism program there and convinced me to do it. Um, that was one of our first Olive Garden lunches. <laughs> um, maybe our first, actually. You may have um, to paying them royalties eventually. Yeah. <laughs> as long as they give us breadsticks, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, I was taking an entrepreneurial journalism class. and I've never considered myself entrepreneurial at all. Um, in fact, I was quite nervous because my background's not business. And you know the business kids in class, especially when you're a writer or reader English, that's always been my specialty. They're super good and intense. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna fail this class. Um, but we were supposed to come up with an idea. And I just, I saw in our office too, like just the need for more diversity and coverage. like. You know, the Marine, Marines are a very specific group, but yeah. not all Marine families are going to want to read the stories about gear and gadgets and blowing stuff up that the Marines want to read. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, partly, it was just something that was fun, uh, kind of changing it up while still, you know, like my passion is writing about and serving the military in this way because I'm not a service member myself. And then by extension of that, just wanting to serve military spouses and families. I think both Natalie and I just really look up to our mothers and what they went through as military spouses and have a heart for serving our troops. So yeah, I went through that class. I pitched it and I will brag. This was one of my greatest ones. I was like the only one in that class to get an A. Nice. Um, and was very proud of that. And so I was telling Natalie about that and she said, oh, I want to do a podcast. I'm like, well, I want to do news so we um you know when the time was right we were able to make it happen that's so great and it is you're you're right that there are a lot of military publications but sometimes it's sort of if someone can just filter through this and tell me how this applies to me to my family it's so nice because there's a lot of like you also mentioned Sometimes the news can be really scary. I hardly read anything on the news that would relate to my husband. I wait for the information from him, from even just within the community, you can get a lot more reliable information. So I think that's so true. And I know I have friends when their husbands are deployed, just stay off social media for that reason, because it can just be so alarming and it is, heavy a lot of military lifestyle can involve some really heavy stuff but at the same time it's arguably things that are heavy for a civilian what they do every day can be seemingly heavy for a civilian you know when not everybody's husband straps themselves into a jet and tests out some new technology or something but at the same time i don't spend every day worrying about that because that's not sustainable so i think it's so awesome that you guys can sort of condense it, say, here's sort of the big picture, here's what's happening, or here's how this applies. And I think that is, that's a great idea. Thank you. And one thing I will say too, it's like, it's not always just stories about the military community. Sometimes it's, I mean, I try to like do current events. So like, mm -hmm. you know, when the coronavirus hit and businesses are going under, well, hey, let's bring on experts in the field who happen to be military spouses, Bossy mm -hmm. Hall and Moni Jefferson, who just started the Association of Military Spouse Entrepreneurs are just rock stars, entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, and they had just a lot of advice from the military spouse perspective, but also for business owners everywhere. And so it's like, I try to, you know, bring in military spouses 
not just as like, oh, let's talk about you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, let's talk about the community. There is some of that, you know, mm-hmm. because you want to bring in the military perspective, but it's also like, where can we elevate military spouse voices when we're talking just kind of the generic stuff that's affecting everybody as well? Sure. How can we put them in a place, in, in like, in that case, in a place of expertise for people, whether they're military or not. So that's great. And it was important for us to really focus on news. I mean, there's so many blogs and like popularity clubs and we're like, we want to be straight news. Like we obviously want the community to hopefully sometimes we can be fun and maybe more fun in the future. But we also like our background is news. That's Mm -hmm. what Natalie and I are good at. We have master's degrees in that and we want to bring that to this community, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we kind of looked at our skill sets and I think there's a growing um, focus on military spouses. I don't know, partly like base life has changed. I think a lot more spouses are in the community than they've ever been instead of just on base. And so there is a need mm-hmm. to disseminate information differently. And we're seeing it used to just be maybe focus on the service member. And then there was a big push for veterans. And now we're seeing a lot, a big push for the military family and spouses. And like Natalie was talking about these different rock star spouses that we've met. We, I got to go to the military influencer conference last year and they're having a whole section devoted to spouses and upcoming spouses and how they're changing the world. And it's just really impressive and something we both wanted to be a part of. Yeah, that's so true. And you're right. I feel like, I'm not sure if that just, Maybe you can speak to it more too from your experience. Do you feel like military spouses are just becoming more comfortable speaking up themselves and therefore attention is being directed to them? Or what do you think is bringing that about? It's interesting that you brought that up because the podcast episode that I just recorded for this coming week is about military spouse unemployment. And one of the women was saying she lives in San Antonio, which calls itself Military City USA. And And I asked her, I was like, well, do you feel like in a place that calls itself Military City USA, are you having to do a lot of education for employers in the community? Like here, military spouses have gaps on their resume. Here's why that shouldn't really matter. Or like, here's, you know, like, look, Mm -hmm. they can work remotely, even if they leave, you know? And so, but she said she has people ask her all the time, like, oh, military spouses want to work? Like, really? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's just like changing economic times too. And, you know, they were talking about like, yeah, in a city, maybe like San Antonio and elsewhere, like they might've had like their grandmother was a military spouse or something. Yeah. Times were different back then. Um, Not just, of course, you know, more women in the military, more women work outside the home now than they did in the fifties and sixties, but just like economics are different. Like most families want to have two incomes, like Mm-hmm. Or, or need to incomes, even, even military families, even though one of them is sure getting a stable paycheck, sometimes that's not enough. So, right. um, I think that military spouses may be more vocal, but I also think times just are changing and people are starting to realize like, look, military spouses need to work. They want to work. Let's, um, and I, I know that's just one small example of, you know, the, the employment piece of, of this, you know, right. larger conversation. But I think I, I immediately thought back to what she was saying how people are still kind of picturing their grandmother's generation or their Mm. parents' generation as far as like the military spouses of back then, not realizing, like Andrea said, you know, more are living in the communities, not just, you know, on bases and and things like that. So I just think times are just different. And, and, you know, another thing I will say is too, like now everyone's working remotely because of the pandemic. Well, Mm -hmm. again, that's where military spouses are like bringing their expertise to that because they've been working remotely before. So here's, you know, a a time where they can be sort of an expert in that. I veered a little bit off topic. Sorry. No, you didn't. No, that's totally relevant. And you're right. And 
I would say to speak even more to the remote situation, one part of that that's a little bit heartbreaking for me as someone who has worked remotely before is that the the other part of the current remote situation is obviously because of COVID and therefore working moms, I feel like military working moms, it's a bit of a heartbreaking situation because they are losing their childcare and don't have a parent down the street because a lot, everybody I know is totally strained right now. It's not easy for anybody, but the majority don't have an alternative to the childcare. So there are now military spouses who have fought so hard for these careers, whether they were already remote or not, who are being forced to step back because they don't really have another choice. And so yeah. furthering your tangent, but yeah, no, absolutely. It is. It's a tough time. But in some ways, it's also connecting us more, like not only the remote, but we have just more availability on the internet. I mean, we got connected to you via Instagram. Oh, right. Yeah. So absolutely. a lot of the, the spouses that we're meeting are through social media and through different online channels. And there's just been really incredible, I think, growth and opportunities to really, you know, maybe it's not the same as being face to face, but, you know, it's it's bolstering our community and, sure. and bringing each other together. And, yeah, and the military spouse community is one that is not at all ever been focused on the face-to-face -face because most of the time your best friends aren't in the same state to begin with. So the Zoom, the FaceTime, that's all. We're totally comfortable in that part for sure. That's true. That's thank goodness for technology at this point in the game. What does it feel like for you guys to be a voice in this community? Because I know sometimes for me, even you know, I picked the American Wealth Spouse as the name of the podcast just because it felt direct. But I feel a little sometimes, a little bit of, I don't want to say pressure, but, you know, basically my opinions are my own, right? In my podcast, especially, it's pretty conversational. But sometimes it is a little unique because friends will share things like, yeah, this is how I feel or that sort of thing. And it feels like, I know I've also read articles from a military spouse perspective that I, that are not my experience, for instance. So I, obviously you guys stick pretty, pretty strictly to news, to facts, which is perhaps alleviate some of that, but what does it feel like to be a voice to the community, something of a voice of the community as well? Yeah. I mean, I would say it's incredibly humbling to be honest. And I have imposter syndrome all the time. Like before I started the podcast, I was like, I, you know, I'm not a military spouse. Yeah. I watched my mom go through that life for, I guess the 12 years I was alive of it. She had mm -hmm. gone through it for 20 with my dad. And so that's, I was kind of coming at it from the kid's point of view. Um, but the military community has just been so supportive, so welcoming. Like even when I was at military times covering the veteran community, again, like they just opened up to me in ways that I was just so grateful for just really harrowing stories sometimes about their lives. And, um, it's just been incredibly humbling and I'm so grateful to be able to provide a platform. Like, I just feel so honored whenever someone entrusts me with their story. Like we had a, a woman who had survived domestic abuse. Her husband actually shot her and her father, um, mm -hmm. on the, I think it was episode 36 and it was, you know, it was an episode about domestic abuse in the military. And I was just like, so humbled that she, you know, allowed me to give her that platform to share her story. So, you know, I just humbling is the word I keep saying, and that's just, it, it is, it's, I feel honored. 
Um, and then there's an incredible responsibility too, as a journalist, you know, that I've always felt as a journalist, no matter when I was working at a local newspaper in Carlsbad, mm -hmm. New Mexico, you know, um, and now doing it on a more national level, it's, yeah, there's a lot of responsibility and I definitely feel the weight of that. Sure. There's definitely responsibility as journalists. I mean, Natalie and I have had so many, you know, off the record conversations. Like there's so many things we want to be a part of, but I think both of us have just been taught in journalism school and what we really truly believe is the way to make a difference is, is to let other people tell their stories and to bring, you know, all sides to the table. And I think we've just been very blessed and humbled by the different experiences that we've gotten to hear across the military. And so mm -hmm. it is, it's, it's to remind ourselves like this isn't our story. This isn't our opinion at all. And the more we can do less of that, the more we can put a megaphone on those stories that deserve to be told. And that is super humbling. I mean, my joke that Natalie hates is that I'm the loser of my family. Um, <laughs> my brother flies. You're not a loser. <laughs> I, but I feel like it. Like my brother flies F-35s. My other brother flies B-52s. My dad was an A-10 pilot. And I'm like, here, I just know how to read and write. And <laughs> like, who are you? And so, yeah, in this job and my job at Military Times, it's been so humbling because I grew up with a heart for the military and I always kind of felt disappointed that that wasn't my calling. I mean, if you look at my personality type, ENFP, it literally says, do not join military service. Like I'm more free spirited. I work well um, without, I don't want to say I'm undisciplined, but I, you know, I work well yeah. without that rigorous hourly schedule. Sure. Yeah, and my husband's so, I, ISTJ, which I think are all the opposite letters that you all just All the opposite. <laughs> so military wouldn't, wouldn't be great for me, but I'm, but I have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. The opportunity, I think, to do something I'm passionate about with the skill set that I have, and that is just the greatest, you know, job position to be in. I feel so lucky that I'm able to do that. Sure. Yeah. This doesn't feel like a job for me. I don't know about Andrea, but like this is because I'm a freelancer and that's how that's how I make my money because <laughs> the, the podcast is, you know, we're still working on getting advertised and sponsors, but like, this is like, we were talking about Elizabeth, like this is fun. You know, mm -hmm. eventually I want this to be my paying job. Um, but it doesn't, it's, I just love it so much. Like right. it's, I enjoy listening back to all the interviews while I do the editing, you know, it's just, it's an incredible amount of fun too. Sure. Yes, I agree. So there, there have been a few and I actually have a couple waiting for me to edit that are about heavier things. And it, even just to listen back to it, I have to kind of get up for it because it is such a compliment and it's so humbling for me as well when people open up the way that they do and share their stories. And that's why I love that you guys are doing this the way you are as well, because I think, well, things are changing, which is beautiful. I also do agree that military spouses don't always feel as heard and Andrea, you joked about imposter syndrome and that, or, you know, being the loser of your family, which is clearly not true, but <laughs> that is, I think, something that most spouses can relate to and can feel because we are, we have sacrificed oftentimes career. We've sacrificed a lot of those, like I talked before, a lot of those measurable things. So that's something that I think many people deal with. And I think that if you get the chance like we have to find something that you're really passionate about that's really fun as well. You feel a little bit spoiled because that isn't always as easy to do when you're hopping around and making things work the way we tend to be. But can you tell me a little bit about what some of the differences are you see between military 
spouses, military marriages, and civilian. Yeah, it, we just did a podcast episode on Military Marriage Day. Um, yes. That was just on August 14th. So I just talked with Bree Carroll all about military marriages. So I feel like it's fresh on my mind. And if I quote her accidentally, I apologize. You, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, when I got married, I didn't know, like it didn't come in our agreement, I guess you could say that like my husband was going to be gone for deployments, you know, and things like sure. that. So, um, sure. While he may travel for work at some point in our lives, it's not like a year or, you know, more. And so that's definitely a difference is the family mm -hmm. separations. Like I'm not having to deal with and wherever he would go would not be a war zone, you know, like mm -hmm. he works in it. So I, you know, so sure. it's a little, it's, that's a lot different. You know, another thing that I think we've seen during this pandemic is that, you know, like we've kind of already talked about in this conversation is that like, this is a prime example of when spouses can really be a, a resource, I guess, or a place to learn from the, the civilian community can learn from spouses have gone through endless deployment, you know, seemingly endless deployments, kind of like this seemingly endless pandemic that we're in, right. you know, they've gone through right. certain situations mm -hmm. or like you know, PCS moves that get canceled at the last minute. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. like they're, they build up a certain level of resilience that, yeah. you know, us civilians don't necessarily um, have to, you know, or like forced sure. to do. And it, it's kind of crazy. Like now is that I'm, you know, grown and I'm a parent, just like looking back on my life and not realizing like when I was in sixth grade, my dad got, um, or sixth or seventh grade, my dad got stationed away from us for a year for his last year. And we decided not to go with him just because he would, when he retired, he would come back. Right. Um, and my mom was a teacher, so she had a job and everything, but like, I wasn't, my school started sports in seventh grade. I wasn't allowed to do any sports or any like really extracurriculars and things like that. And as a kid, you're like, oh, my mom is the worst, you know, sure. like, but then now looking back, it's like, oh my word, I would not have been able to handle all two kids, extracurricular activities, like all of this, a full-time sure. job when my husband's not at home. And so like looking back at my mom, I have just like a ton of respect for her for things that like I didn't realize as a kid that she was going through as mm -hmm. a military spouse because my dad would go on TDYs and things like that. He was in largely during peacetime, so he didn't deal with like a deployment. But um, yeah, just like as a kid looking back, it's just like the incredible amount of resilience that my mom and other military spouses just, you know, have to build up in their lives. And I, you know, I just have sure. an incredible amount of respect for, for them. Sure. And that's, a, that's a good point you make about the current situation, because I know that it's obviously trying for everybody in different ways, but it's true that I feel like for myself, at least I had a lot more tolerance for the social parts of the situation, because for one, we were, I'm already used to FaceTiming and Zooming with a lot of my close relationships. I'm used to not seeing my family regularly. Those parts of it took a lot longer to really like feel the pain of it. At this point, it's getting a little frustrating. You know, I'd like to go see, <laughs> go see my parents and that kind of thing. But, but it's true. There are weird little things like that, that Brenda and I also joked about masks when we were on base. It was sort of, oh, the rule now is you wear masks, like, okay, fine, because we're so like, oh, you can wear a hat here, you can't wear a hat here, you wear this here, you wear that there, you know, like, you just do what they tell you to do for so much of it, and so it was like, oh, mask on, okay, fine, and so the whole idea of fighting it, it's just sort of, well, no, my husband doesn't need to wear 
this pointy hat when he's walking from the commissary to his car, but he just does it. So even if you don't need to wear the mask, just do it. <laughs> and that's such a military mindset of sort of like, don't even question anyone's motives, just do it, which yeah. has pitfalls as well. But yeah, there are, there are parts of this strange and challenging time that are weirdly and perhaps frightening and unsettlingly appropriate to military life already. <laughs> yeah, I keep hearing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, go ahead, Andrea, did you have anything for that one? Yeah, well, there's, of course, the resilience thing, like Natalie said, I just have to say, because oh, she'll hopefully listen to this, and I'm just so proud of my mother and so impressed now that I'm older. I'm like, how did she do it? Um, she gave birth to my brother. I was two and a half years old, and my dad was gone almost her whole pregnancy, and she gave birth you know, she had a friend there, but I now thinking back, I'm like, ah, oh my gosh, I didn't, you know, we grew up knowing that we knew mom was cool and great, but now I'm like, holy crap, yeah. mom, you, you yeah, have this right. strength that I didn't even really comprehend. Mm -hmm. um, and I've seen it more in my brothers, I think. Um, I mean, we just kind of grew up like dad was gone or he was home when he was home, he was really home. And when he was gone, he was really gone. And he mm -hmm. later became an airline pilot. So that was also kind of the same thing so it wasn't weird for us like dad wasn't home every night but when he was home he was home um but yeah I think my brothers are just the most incredible men I've ever met and my poor middle brother he has a lovely wonderful girlfriend right now she's also in the air force but um dating girls and they're like well I don't want to leave the midwest and he's like I just want a sweet girl who wants to travel the world and like yeah. have a family with me and to me I'm like any girl should be like falling all over <laughs> you for that. Sure. But for so many, you know, it, 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 it's such a sacrifice and you're not mm -hmm. near your family. And so I've seen it more so with them because to me, it was just kind of normal because that's how I saw my mom and my grandma. And so I always thought, you know, that's how it would be for me. And I'm not married, so I don't know what it'll look like for me. But well, you um, also, but you do know what that life looks like already, because I think when you meet someone who does, isn't a part of that life at all to date someone who is, already heavily immersed in it too because I joke with my husband but like, we knew each other in high school so it was and we dated when he was in grad school so it was like a slow boil for me before <laughs> it's true though that it I think the further that they get in their career and the more committed they are and the more of it that you can really tangibly see because when we first start dating it's like oh we'll move around a lot cool and now it's like oh my two-year-old has lived in three states and it's like we're in it and it is not a joke but it's it's fair to think of civilians dating the military and really taking all of that into account like people say you know what you signed up for which is everyone's favorite phrase obviously but even if whether you think you do or not like it's a lot to take into account and if you are in those really early stages of dating it can it can be intimidating. It can push people away just because it's overwhelming and it's hard to say, okay, well, where will you go next? Maybe we could plan in a lot of times. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know yet. I'll tell you in a couple of months. So I can see how the dating in the military world would be tough for both sides. Yeah. My boyfriend's in the army and we've had some funny conversations because again, I've just always had that mindset. So he was so surprised, you know, the other day we were talking about would I move with him or not? And I'm like, of course I would. And he was just shocked. Like he, <laughs> he never really dated a girl who was willing to do that. And I'm like, you know, I just, I think this pandemic has helped. I think I can probably do my work anywhere. Like if this works out, you know, I'm open for that. Mm -hmm. um, 
he comes from a big military family as well. He's he's one of twelve kids actually, and wow. the uh, oldest six boys of all wow. are either serving or in ROTC. So um, they kind of get it, and his brother-in-law is a Marine as well. So mm-hmm. kind of surrounded by that and have support within sure. within that family. Sure. That was actually when I realized I wanted to marry my husband was when it occurred to me that I would go anywhere with him. That was a big deal because I remember just always thinking I wanted to go back to my hometown, people I had been with before, that was always my plan. And when I realized it didn't matter where I was, that was actually a very telling sign, which is fortunate because we've gone to some great places and some middle of nowhere places. And that's something probably about military marriages that doesn't necessarily make them stronger than another marriage, but perhaps bonds them sooner in certain ways or kind of puts you through the fire about certain things a lot earlier because a lot of your support system is stripped away pretty quickly. And it's put, we were one, two years into marriage and whether it's, you know, a death in the family or whatever, you aren't in your family home walking through it with everybody. It's just the two of you for the most part. So, so yeah, I think it's your boyfriend is super blessed to have somebody who has seen that life and understands the commitment. And yeah, understands that of course you, I go with you whenever possible because life's too short. And even if it's kind of a stinky place, it's better than by myself as far as I'm concerned. So, and especially now with two toddlers, it's like, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) You can take them and I'll stay here. (laughs) One of the other, you know, differences when you talk about military and civilian families, I guess you could say Mm -hmm. is like, I had lived in three countries by the time I was six. Mm -hmm. And so just like being able to see the world, I think gives you a different perspective especially during a global pandemic, maybe that this, you know, um, aside from like some civilians who never leave the town they were born in, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. I just think it, it just broadens your understanding of so many things of culture of, of even things like politics or, or, you know, whatever, like a number of things. Um, just, I think being a military spouse, just having lived in military spouses who live in other parts of the world and someone like me who like, you know, lived in other countries, um, in my life. And so I think that that is just like an incredible plus, you know, like obviously mm-hmm. there are downsides to living overseas, of course, but yeah. like, but I, th- I kind of think it's like a plus of military life, right. That you oh, absolutely you get yeah. those experiences. So. Yeah. I look at my girls already and the things that they're just learning to adapt to that are total challenges right now. When, you know, my three-year-old doesn't understand why she's at that age where she understands her dad's gone and doesn't understand why And so now if he goes to the store, she panics because last time it was six weeks, you know, so it's weird, but then she's going to be Andrea who says when he's gone, he's gone. And when he's home, he's home. And it's awesome when he is. And that's how life goes. And there's a resiliency that comes with that. And the little friendships that she has already that she talks about her friends that are now all over the country, how cool that is that I didn't have. I remember being obsessed with the concept of a pen pal, just because it felt so foreign and cool because I grew up in basically the same town loved my childhood but it's so neat that they have all these experiences already and this much bigger worldview so much earlier in their life that took me I, I hope that they will be just much more educated 21 year olds than I was <laughs> that's my goal is that they'll just be more well-rounded earlier can you tell me a little bit about some of the challenges that you guys have encountered with your podcast, if any? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think just really like trying to grow has been a little bit challenging because like we really took off, like Andrea did the website, like during her furlough for military times and, um, did a really good job with that. And then the pandemic hit. Right. And mm-hmm. so just when we were about to, you know, start, you know, approaching advertisers and sponsors and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when, you know, everyone's budgets kind of tighten. So sure. I think just like, we've honestly been able to see incredible growth. Um, and the number of downloads and, you know, followers and people who are finding the podcast and things like that. Um, obviously, you know, the effects of a podcast or, you know, your podcast too, like aren't really quantifiable. Right. Totally. But um, it's just, it's really been encouraging to see that growth. I think, you know, just a challenge that we've had is just, you know, okay, like how do we monetize this, I guess you could say. And so that we can like, I mean, I'd love to stop freelancing and make this my full-time thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, I guess, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. quite transparently, that, that is a challenge. Sure, that's totally fair, and I know I've read about even, it's great that yours have been growing and increasing, because I've read about podcast downloads decreasing, just because so uh, fewer people are commuting, and listening yeah. to cars, yeah. and, you know, even going to the gym where they would listen, whatever the case may be, so even though it seems like, oh, everyone's home, they have, they're listening to podcasts, but that's not true, myself included, as someone who's making one, there are episodes that I don't ever fully listen to all the way through again before they go out because I'm like this is as close as it's gonna get because to, I, I can't get another hour <laughs> of quiet yeah. to hear it so, <laughs> so yeah I I'm that's awesome that you guys like you said even just to continue to be reaching your audience and expanding is really great we've learned so much and it's been challenging too I think just sometimes like learning the lingo and learning business aspects or learning different laws and um it's a challenge, but it's been a good challenge. Like, I feel like there's been a lot of personal growth through this. Um, but sometimes it's just organizing schedules, like you said, and sure. making sure we're getting the right amount of content while we still have freelance deadlines and I still have work deadlines. And mm-hmm. suddenly I don't have as much energy as I used to, <laughs> sure. you know, can't stay up as late to get as much done. So it's just, you know, finding the time to do it what we love doing, what we're passionate about and sticking to our own deadlines that we write for ourselves. Like nobody else is enforcing them but right we have each other so <laughs> right no that's totally true can you tell me what the most rewarding part has been about having a podcast I think one is just to meet so many different spouses and be able to tell their stories like Natalie said we're constantly humbled by um the people that find us and reach out to us and want to talk to us about these very intimate moments of their lives and mm-hmm. you know even some of those we haven't had time not that we haven't had time, we haven't had room in the schedule or the right timing to publish some of those yet, but um, Mm -hmm. we just want to tell so many stories and we're only human as well. I totally get that for sure. (laughs) And it is such a compliment when people want to share with you. And like you said, it's, it's much more about the hours in the day than it is not wanting to actually share those stories. But yeah, I I feel you there. Yeah, I think just the personal growth as well. And just feeling like I'm doing something I'm passionate about and Mm -hmm. really seeing you know, the culmination of my skills as a journalist, but now I'm doing it for me and it's been fun and exciting and, you know, doing something that I feel is giving back to the world and passionate about. So yeah, the whole thing has been really positive. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like really anytime someone reaches out and be like, Oh, Hey, that episode really resonated with me or so I think back to our very first episode and um, the DOD is starting to give reimbursement for spouses, like for if they have to change over their licenses when they move to a different state. And so they had started, like, I think it was a pilot program. And at the time that we did the episode, it was $500 they could get reimbursed. And somebody was like, 
oh, I had no idea. I'm going to go follow, file for that paperwork to get reimbursed. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So I just saved that person $500, you know, sure. and so it's just like, I mean, it's like little things, but like, you know, stuff like that is kind of what I was saying. It's like, it's mm-hmm. not quantifiable. And like when somebody comes and says like, wow, thank you. I hadn't heard about that from command or from whoever, because we, I know we have service members who listen, active duty service members who listen as well as spouses. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it's just been, it's just been neat to see that like, oh, okay. Like, and I, Andrea and I had said from day one, like, if this helps one person, you know, then like we've done our job, you know, mm-hmm. and like, um, I think it's just been really cool to see, to see, kind of get some of that feedback. Sure. Absolutely. One other thing, I think I've just been so humble. There's like two spouses in particular. I'm thinking of what, what you said earlier, Elizabeth, that some spouses just, even with the community, they don't really feel like maybe they're heard by their commander mm-hmm. in the community. And um, you just had a few conversations of spouses who've reached out and like just really feeling humbled, like that they felt alone and they reached out to me. And like Natalie said, there's a huge responsibility there, not only as a journalist, but also as a person, you know, whether or not we use their story to be a support to these spouses. Um, it's, it's a real privilege. Absolutely. Privilege is a, is a great word. Yeah. Okay. The next portion is totally just fun, just kind of rapid fire. You guys can alternate who wants to go first, but the first one is, especially as, you know, military brats, what's your favorite place that you've ever lived? Uh, I'm going to have to give a shout out to Panama. (laughs) Lived there um, from the time I was three to six. So I have a lot of great memories there. My dad got out when I was pretty young. The only place that I, I lived actually was Alexander, Louisiana, um, and my brother's in Louisiana now. So I kind of take it to heart because I was raised up north in Chicago, which is not north. But um, <laughs> but my dad was like, you are not a Yankee. You have Cajun blood running through your veins. So it's very much like part of our identity that me and my brother, you know, spent all this time in Louisiana. And, and the final Scott is now finally stationed in Louisiana. So he knows what it's like. <laughs> okay, that's great. So what's your first place that you'd like to travel after COVID? Well, I was supposed to go to Iceland for my birthday in March and that got canceled. So I'm hoping my 30th birthday is next March. So I'm hoping that we can go for that. That That's one big regret I have. We were in Boston for a couple of years and I wish we had taken advantage of those just ridiculously affordable trips to Iceland that you can get from the East Coast. Yeah. I hope that can happen for you soon. I mean, you can get a really cheap flight right now, probably, but yeah, <laughs> they might not let me in. I don't know. Right. What current status right. Is. Probably not. I think we're blacklisted most places. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if mine is a place as much as I just can't wait to like go to a bar and not feel scared being around people. Like I'm at the point of my life. I'm not, you know, I don't need to go partying. But the other day I was like, I just really want to go into a club. Like, can you imagine what it was like when we went into bars and like strangers were bumping us? (laughs) Yeah. So what's your favorite way to waste time? Oh, wow. Mine would have to be, yeah, like I would, yeah, okay. Well, I have a couple, but Netflix, just like sitting in front of the TV and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. It's hard to like turn my brain off, but sometimes I can do that. Mm -hmm. Right now we're like house hunting. So like Redfin is like my time waster. I'm just like, it's like my new Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. 
I've totally been there. <laughs> Instagram, unfortunately, and embarrassingly, but I'm not that embarrassed as The Bachelor. Oh, hell yeah. It's yeah. great because my boyfriend and his brother, his very, like, manly brother and their roommates have decided to watch it with me so we watch an episode every week and it's just way more enjoyable hearing the male commentary oh, so that's so. so great to talk about ways to just turn off your brain that's totally mindless for sure yep. other and people's drama not your own <laughs> right other exactly. people's drama <laughs> exactly exactly it makes your life feel totally simple and mature <laughs> so these next two are uh obviously generally kind of geared toward military spouses, but I'm curious to hear from your perspective. This first one is uh, the, the biggest challenge of male spouse life. So I'd be curious just from talking to so many, what seems like the biggest challenge? I think, you know, the thing that I hear the most when I, you know, have asked that question too, is like the family separations mm -hmm. and, um, was talking with Brianna Keeler. She's an anchor on CNN and she was on the podcast recently. And she was saying like how sure for her, it was one thing, but then like they had, um, a baby. And so who like at 18 months is still very much a mama's boy and is like kind of wary of his dad. Cause like he was gone for so long. Mm -hmm. And so I think just like those fam like the reintegration and things like that, especially with like little, little kids who don't really, I guess, get as much of like a, a FaceTime relationship type thing. Um, that's kind of what I, what I hear is those separations are, are tough. Sure. I know we've heard from surveys and I think Natalie and I've heard this a lot too. It's just childcare. I mean, especially if you do have more spouses who want to work and in 2020 are able to, you know, do some creative job remotely or in, well, not in person right now, but you know, eventually in person. Mm -hmm. Um, Natalie had a great podcast with, um, they were a dual military family and during this pandemic like they couldn't get childcare, but they both were essential workers and mm -hmm. had to be on base like mm -hmm. i i just can't even comprehend that um how difficult that is mm -hmm. yeah she's it's actually um my friend that i had interviewed her, her she and her husband are both coast guard and like now that their daughter is going to school but like from home um, I think that's the episode you're talking about, Andrea. And like, so they now have to have childcare when they, she was supposed to be in school, but now they can't get an au pair because of like government. Right. And so they're like, okay, we have to pay a live-in nanny, like money that we were never planning on paying for that. Right. You know, it's, it's just crazy. Right. Especially when their families are dealing with that. Yeah. When their school age is also, I feel like an added challenge because if you're both working and your child was in daycare to shift to a nanny is typically a little more expensive, but when you otherwise had no expense to then go to having to pay a full time or live a nanny is huge. It's a huge impact. Yeah. The next and final question is what the most rewarding, best thing about being a military spouse is and what you hear that to generally be just like you were talking about Elizabeth, like, you know, you have friends like all over the place. Mm -hmm. you know? And I, and I think like what I've heard from a lot of military spouses is that you kind of learn how to make friends quickly because mm -hmm. you don't have another option. And I think that that is pretty cool. And, you know, again, from just kind of like speaking from the perspective as a military brat was like some of my, my close, like closest family friends, like to this day are people that were like 
were at my first duty station mm-hmm. <laughs> in Germany, um, like there were four families who all had daughters that my same age and we're all friends. We're all still friends. Um, a couple of us live in this area and, uh, like our parents are still friends and they all kind of, they ended up at the same duty station again later on. So mm-hmm. my parents just went to like on vacation with one of, you know, my friend's parents. So it's just like, it's right. just like this whole family. And we're honestly closer to our military friends, you know, as family friends than we are to our own relatives. Mm-hmm. We're like in the Midwest or, you know, whatever. And so, uh, I think that that's a pretty cool aspect of military life is just the really like deep friendships that you have to make so fast. Mm-hmm. I'm not a person that likes small talk. Uh, you know, really, and mm-hmm. it's like, so I think it's just kind of cool how like you see military spouses just really have to like start on the deep level, skip the yep. surface stuff, like let's be friends forever. And you know, I I just think that's that's it's really so cool. true. Um, I would say for whatever reason you're joining the military these days, like there is still just sense such a sense of duty and patriotism and service, and I think. Um, we're doing better at, you know, acknowledging that, that service that military spouses are giving as well. But um, I think just a lot of the spouses I've talked to, it's like the sacrifices that they're making, like, they didn't have to do this, they didn't have to maybe sign up um, to be a military spouse, like you said, they didn't maybe know everything that they were getting into. And Mm -hmm. some of it is, a lot of it is obviously love, but on some level, like that is so heroic. And you know, so honorable as well. And so I think there's that sense of selflessness that I admire so much in military spouses and are so grateful for them for. Thanks again so much to Natalie and Andrea for chatting with me and for all the good you're doing for the spouse community. Again, be sure to check them out on Instagram at Spouse Angle Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week.